Hi, this is Jen Lee, and you are listening to Feeling Circle. had a great Thanksgiving break. Why did my guest Akina to join today? Welcome Akina. Thanks for having me Jen. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Super low-key and chill but it was nice. I visited my dad in Houston so just ate a lot went around. (laughs) And before we dive into this topic how would you quickly introduce yourself? Firstly, as your friend, (laughs) (laughs) coming on to this podcast, Jen and I met uh, in college. (laughs) We danced on several of the same teams and stayed in touch since then. She's always getting us to talk about our feelings. Um, Secondly, I'm currently residing in LA after moving from New York City for a few years. I do marketing on the side in my professional career. A amateur baker, amateur home DIYer. <laughs> um, and that's it. Thank you for introducing yourself. You are truly such a good friend of mine. And I am very, very thankful that you would take the time to talk about feelings with me. That said, um, I thought you would be the perfect person to talk about career journeys, but also taking the bold and courageous move of quitting your job and taking the time to focus on yourself. So can you give us some context around what your career looked like? So I was living in city. um, So I moved there right after I graduated. I was just looking for a job in marketing um, specifically because that was the industry I enjoyed. Wanted to establish myself, you know, career-wise, find financial stability. I was still very much on that path of growing my career and establishing some sort of like professional reputation. It was a very interesting year, I think, for all of us. Because <laughs> while that was happening, that's when I started to really experience burnout on top of COVID and everything else that came with it, which was a lot. Yeah. What did burnout look like to you then? What were some of the symptoms for you then to realize that you were experiencing burnout? Yeah, I think, you know, burnout is different for everyone. I don't think my situation was unique by any means, but um, for me, I worked a lot um, when I was, you know, first starting off and even up until I left my job. It wasn't because I necessarily had like really hard or grueling employers, but a lot of it just kind of stemmed from the type of person I am. Um, and also this feeling of imposter syndrome, which I think you've talked about in your previous episodes. And it, I didn't even recognize it as imposter syndrome because I didn't know that was a thing until someone told me like, hey, <laughs> I think you might be you know, experiencing this. When I do something or when I produce something that has my name on it, especially professionally, I want it done well. I want it done a certain way. I want to feel confident and proud in any work I do. And I was always holding myself to this higher standard in order to feel that I deserved, you know, whatever position I was in or that I had earned it. Um, And so it kind of, in a way, not self-sabotage, but in a way it was self-sabotage because I was just so focused that I had to continuously prove myself and instead of like taking the time to look and see how far I've come and how much I've learned. 
stuff that meant like spending extra hours in the office, taking on extra work, um, grinding myself mentally outside of work, just you know, constantly thinking about ways I could be improving what I was doing or what was going on for my team. That's just what I do. And I think that combined was like a snowball effect of just accumulation of like the eight to 10 years I've been working on top of when COVID hit. Um, I think that was almost like a tipping point. And I think everyone experienced COVID differently, obviously. Um, but I think the effects of just quarantine with physical, like social isolation and just general underlying anxiety for me when I had to, you know, constantly think about my health, whether or not like seeing someone like my friend or family person was going to like risk their life or, you know, their family's life or something. It was just, there's so much that we didn't know and everyone was still learning and trying to yeah. adjust at the same time. So I think that compounded with everything that had already accumulated for me just led me to resign. And I was just one of many in the, you know, great resignation. That was a really good summary. And there was a lot there. Like, where, <laughs> should, where should I start to unpack? I think the one part that I want to dig a little bit more into was when you said imposter syndrome, that you were feeling imposter syndrome. How would you define imposter syndrome in your life? How did it show up for you? For me, and it was something that was called out to me in my last role, my um, HR, head of HR, my head of personnel, very awesome lady, um, just very supportive. And when I had one of my mental breakdowns of stress and everything at the office, she just kind of asked me questions like, why do you think that, you know, the success is all on you? Why do you feel that um, you need to bear this brunt of burden by yourself or that, you know, all these things are dependent on your actions when they're not? And in reality, they weren't. So for me, it was just this idea that I had to be perfect. I had to overachieve to feel that, you know, I was contributing or to feel that I had earned, you know, my manager position, my director position or whatever it was I was working on or felt that I was an integral part of the team. I always felt I had to put myself on this higher standard. And the questions she asked me were just like, would you ask that of your other team members and things like that? Like, why do you ask it of yourself? And then she identified what my feelings were. And I was just like, oh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you think that did come from? When she asked that question of why, what conclusion were you able to get to? Just Growing up, I'd always been somewhat of a perfectionist. You know, when you're young, you want to feel like you prove, you're proving something, especially in your first role. You want to make sure you're going above and beyond so that they keep you <laughs> or that, um, you know, you're doing the right things. Even as I started to be more established and develop more skill sets, I still felt that, you know, there were expectations on me that I needed to adhere to for myself to stay that perfectionist. Yeah, I can relate so much to that. I feel like that's not only my story, but a lot of people's story of just being so self-critical, having the highest of expectations. And maybe this is why people love going into their 30s, because <laughs> for me, I 
have this attitude of rebellion these days. And I rebel towards the idea of perfectionism. And I'm like, why was it that when we were younger, when people would do introductions, it would be like, oh yeah, I'm a perfectionist. There was so much pride about the idea of being a perfectionist. Were you surrounded by a culture like that where it was celebrated? Yeah, where you had to be this person that always had the answer, like knew everything, like was on top of it. That's what got you, you know, good grades. That's what got you recognition. I definitely felt that there was like a pride thing. Yeah, yep, yep. That's exactly what I'm talking about. For me, the tipping point for me around the idea of perfectionism, there are these high standards of what it's like to be a mom and a wife and an employee and what it means to be great at all these things and there's no way that a person can achieve all those things to then be super angry i become such an angry person <laughs> because that i'm great <laughs> yeah i'm just so angry that people out there try to enforce this idea that it is possible to be perfect when in reality there isn't so people are, are uh, trying to achieve something that is not possible so it's going to be disappointing um i i'm starting to ramble but like does that no does that, that make, make sense? yeah that makes sense it's like you want to achieve perfectionism but perfectionism is not necessarily attainable because it's different to so many people when you're younger you think that like being perfect and your idea of perfect is like you know, X, Y, Z, but as you get older and like you said, like being a mom and stuff, it changes because everyone's ideal of what the perfect mom is, is different. And to try to be perfect to everyone is impossible. <laughs> it truly is. It's like the most subjective, the most unattainable and the most self-sabotaging thing ever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a weakness. <laughs> yeah. I'm embracing the idea of imperfectionism <laughs> yeah things happen you can't control it life happens yeah. yeah so I appreciate that point um that you're making and to the point of just like what burnout looks like um I've pulled up Mayo Clinic's uh one pager around job burnout and these are some of the burnout symptoms uh, and questions you can ask yourself to identify if you're experiencing burnout and some of the things are have you become cynical or critical at work? Do you drag yourself to work and have trouble getting started? Um, do you lack the energy to be consistently productive? Do you lack satisfaction from your achievements? Are you using food, drugs, or alcohol to feel better or to simply not feel? Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm being attacked here. Um, <laughs> have your sleeping habits changed? Are you troubled by unexplained headaches, stomach problems, or other physical complaints? I will just let that sink in for some people. Wait, I thought yeah. these were like everyday things that everyone experiences. Yeah, like, yeah, the point you're just like, isn't it normal to like dread going to work on Monday? Yeah. Um, but I answered yes to all of those. <laughs> and that's why I left. I was just so tired and it wasn't just like physically, mentally drained. It was just like, I was tired of not caring almost because that was so unlike me when it comes to things like that. Like I mentioned, like I wanted to do the best and everything that I did professionally and had my name on it. But I got to a point where I was like, I don't care. 
you know, if this report goes out or this thing happens, I don't care anymore. And I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't want to be tired anymore. I didn't want to dread going into work. <laughs> I was like, this is something that takes up, you know, 40 hours at least of my week. I should somewhat enjoy it, right? All those things, um, which were great questions, Mayo Clinic. <laughs> yes. I think indifference is what you described. And yep. indifference is one of the scariest places to be because basically what that means is you've numbed yourself. You've numbed your feelings and you've numbed your desires. You disassociated from yourself at that point, right? Yeah. When you feel something like that, like so consistently and constantly, you almost like normalize it. Like you said, like not weird to feel tired or that we're stressed all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell us how you made the decision to leave work. What were some of the fears? And then what was the ultimate thing that really pushed you to make that decision? Because I personally know you and know our upbringing and the immigrant hustle and the American dream that I feel like we all were raised to go after, there must have been enough momentum to find the courage to make the decision. Can you walk us through that decision-making process? I mentioned that growing feeling of being tired and that indifference to the tiredness was a red flag for me. It was like alarming. And then I started thinking to myself um, at one point that why am I putting myself through this? You know, this is something that's within my control. Um, I was tired of listening to myself complain, <laughs> tired of, you know, I didn't even, I, at that point, I didn't even talk to friends and families about it anymore because I felt that I was complaining all the time. So I was like, if I'm tired of hearing it, they're probably tired of hearing it. So it, it made me realize unless I did something myself, nothing would change, which is a very obvious statement, but I think so much harder to enact. And ironically, I was working at a mental health company at the time, and I ended up just taking the lessons I marketed so often <laughs> to our consumers and decided to apply it to myself. I was like, Yes, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to put your mental health first. It's okay to take risks and take a path less traveled. And then eventually I just realized, you know, instead of running myself to the ground, let's let's take these lessons and apply it to ourselves and see if it works. <laughs> and please share, how was it? So once you decided to take the time off and focus on yourself, what did the first couple of months look like? Yeah, so logistically, when I was leading or when I put in my resignation, I had thought about my different options. You know, do I quit my job and stay unemployed for a while, just cold turkey? Do I quit my job, find another job and just try to push, you know, maybe a month? You know, maybe I don't, maybe if I didn't need that much time to unwind and to recover from the burnout or just, quit, maybe do some consulting and figure it out. I ended up going with the first. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to quit cold turkey and see what happens. Um, I tried that and it didn't necessarily <laughs> turn out that way. I so so wrapped up still mentally in working 
that I wanted to consult and wanted to do something part-time. So the first three months, three to four months, I was still consulting and contracting a lot. Um, and it made me realize I wasn't actually taking time off because instead of doing it, doing a one full-time job, I was just consulting full-time. And then I was like, how come I'm not feeling, how come I feel the same? <laughs> I see the form, I was like, how come nothing's really changed? And I had only given myself like a quarter to like figure it out and like, okay, by quarter two, let me like have my life together. But by quarter two, I was like, um, nothing's changed. So that's when I decided and had to learn again, self-application of my own lessons that I need to set boundaries. Um, if I was going to continue doing the consulting on the side, I had to be part-time. Um, I had to be very particular about which projects I picked up, which clients I worked on, uh, very strict about how many hours I was willing to give so that I could really start to unwind and actually recover from the burnout that had driven me to quit in the first place. I love how you decided you weren't going to work anymore, but then you <laughs> were actually working. I know, I know. <laughs> but did you at least give yourself one week to just not work at all? Or did you immediately did. have projects? I think I, so I quit the last day of the year, of the calendar year. I think I had like a week but it was like okay. the holidays and everyone had it off. And then after I was doing essentially full-time consulting for the first three to four months, I stopped and I didn't pick up any projects for like a month oh, and a half. Nice. Okay. And then that's when, that's how I realized I'm like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. Oh, okay. Okay. So you did ultimately get there. It just... It just took you longer to it take that break. Longer. Yeah, I I thought I could go cold turkey and then I, I couldn't. I don't yeah. think I had like prepped myself mentally enough about that, I guess. And then um, when I realized that this is the same situation, <laughs> just like it looks different. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I was like, okay, this is what it's supposed to feel like. This is great. <laughs> this time off is amazing. This is yeah. what I wanted. And since then, I've been, like I said, very selective of what I pick up, working like pretty much only part-time um, and learning how to draw those like boundaries and setting a healthy work-life balance. Um, can you walk us through the emotional experience of it all? So like that first day when you were actually quitting Turkey, did you, was it like a breath of fresh air? Because I'm, it's December for me, it's the end of quarter end of half I'm in the thick of it right now in sales and I can't stop just imagining what would life look like if I wasn't working at all my mind goes there when it's hard and then I see this beach and me sitting and like laying down tanning in the sun it just looks glorious but tell me what was the real experience of not having any work lined up and knowing that you're giving yourself that break for me personally, it was very difficult. <laughs> and it because I had that like very weird transition into it, it made me realize that I had a lot of trouble letting go of that, that work lifestyle. Um, and so forcing myself to not pick up more work was very 
very anxiety ridden. <laughs> like that first week, I was just like, what am I going to do? Like, what if I can't after this? Like, I, you know, I turned down all these offer projects. You know, am I doing the wrong thing? A lot of it came tumbling as like self doubt. I don't think you ever know if you're doing, you know, the right thing until you see it through. Can I pause you there? And, and I feel like there's something about saying no, that in the beginning is scary and then later empowering. I'll just speak for myself. If I was in that position, I have been raised to say yes, yes, and yes, that I can do it all. But learning to say no is anxiety inducing. I think later empowering, but like in the beginning saying no does create a bunch of doubt because it's just what we were not taught to say. Yeah. You, it's like you want to do it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th was that part of the anxiety inducing source of just saying no? Yeah, definitely. It was just such a weird place to be in and to say no, not because there were circumstances outside my control, but saying no, because I chose to say no, like it was anxiety inducing, but also empowering in a way, because it was, it was one of the few things that in my life or in your life is like your choice. Logistically speaking, I, I did quick math, you know, I figured out like how much can I financially afford to take time off to not work at all? Um, what does my situation look like to be able to do this? So part of it was I was in a very privileged state, but at the same time, having had worked so long to get to this point, it was empowering because I could be like, no, I built myself to get to somewhere that I can say no, that I can take time off, that I can work on myself and afford to figure it out. I was trying to reward myself. Yeah. But it took me a while to realize that I was <laughs> doing it for the right reasons. Whereas those first two weeks, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> and can I ask, like, by you saying no in those moments, what did that actually unlock for you? Because I feel like that level of empowerment and that agency that you find in situations like that of being able to know that you have a choice and that you that you are following your own desires, I feel like that's a door that unlocks many other doors. For sure. Having been in this weird transition period of my career and professional life, it's kind of taught me, ironically, because I left my job, to have more confidence in my work, to have more confidence in my skill set. And that's something that obviously when you have imposter syndrome, you really suffer from. And so when you had when I had to quit my job, I had to be confident enough that my knowledge and accomplishments in the last, you know, eight to 10 years could sustain me and get me somewhere afterwards, whether I decided to go full time, um, especially going into consulting, contracting, a lot of it is finding your own business as well. So being able to show and like sell that your skill sets are enough to complete a project it almost like pushed me to get that confidence in my work that I didn't have while working <laughs> yeah and I 100% believe that and believe the power 
of you making your choice, saying no, and how that can provide confidence. Kind of understanding imposter syndrome more. I think imposter syndrome develops when you are meeting the demands of other people, when you are just doing doing things because they're asked from you or because it's your job and it's not your choice. I think that is what builds imposter syndrome versus finding agency, doing things that you want to do, having more intention, being more mindful. I think that is building confidence and is the opposite of imposter syndrome. I wonder if that makes sense. Yeah, in a way. Does yeah. it? Yeah, like Because, okay, and the reason why I say all of this is because my biggest takeaway from 2022 is that it's so much easier to live your life by being reactive, by just doing well in your career because it's what your job asks you or just being a mom or being a wife and losing yourself. It's so easy to lose yourself versus it's so much harder to be very mindful and attentive to your own self around what is your own desire. It takes that much more energy to take care of yourself and to live your life in full pursuit of your own desires. It's so hard to do that. And so that's why I see your decisions and how you've led your life. And I, all I see is courage and confidence. Like I really do. And I'm sure it's not all beautiful. I'm sure there's been a lot of downs even during this journey of yours, but I, I can only see good things happen from you finding confidence in your decision-making power. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something I'm, it's a work in progress that I'm trying to do. I don't think like I've completely cured myself <laughs> of these types of symptoms. This is not to say that if I jump into another role that I might just fall back into old habits, but um, it's been a nice change of pace and much needed and being able to look back now in hindsight, I can feel that I made the right decision for me at that point in my life. And I'm, you know, happy, happier for sure, <laughs> where, where I am um, than where I was two years ago. What would you say for, uh, to other people who are experiencing burnout? I think burnout looks different to a lot of people. So again, asking yourself the right questions Am I feeling burnout or is there maybe something else that's impacting my life on why I feel this way? Is this maybe just a short period or a phase that's going on? Or is this something that's really making me miserable? And for me, it took me a long time to come to terms with it. Some people are really good at it and know that they won't see a light at the end of the tunnel. They're experiencing yes to all those questions in the first month, then they're very good about knowing this is not going to work for me. Mm. For me, it took longer. It was like, maybe next month they'll be better. Maybe not that. And I think everyone just needs to identify where their limit is. Um, and to your point of not being reactive, it's if you can be proactive about it, that's best. But I think for a lot of people, especially myself, it is something that I had to react to because you almost don't realize it's happening until it's already happening. Um, so if you're experiencing all those things, again, it's okay to take a break. I was in a very 
privileged spot in a way that I could financially afford to um, run some quick numbers, see, does it make sense to maybe just find a new role and ask for maybe a month or two off in between? Do you really feel like you need more time before you jump into something? Is it more than just career and work-life balance? Is it a career change? Those, all those different answers that you'll come to are going to impact how you want to resolve, you know, professionally the, the burnout you're feeling. So those are kind of what and I've had people ask me about that before, too. Those are kind of like the general consensus I've come to. It's not one size fits all. Some people can't don't want to do what I'm doing, which is totally fine. Some people mm-hmm. can actually, you know, resign and resign on day one. Um, but yeah, it's it's a learning period. And don't be too hard on yourself. You know, like I said, you don't really know what the quote unquote right path is until mm-hmm. until you take it, until you do something until you take action you're otherwise you're always going to be kind of stuck in a the same rut if you don't do anything to change it that's all really good advice and it's probably going to resonate with a lot of people just because i think the way that our society is designed and the way work is a source of dignity for people and there's just so much pressure and meaning on what you do for your day job mm-hmm. that I think it it's always nice to just find a time and space to be reflective of what your work means for you. And the thing is, everyone can have all kinds of values and that's okay. Some people could you know, really put in a lot of meaning in their work and in their day job. And that is perfectly fine. And some people can feel the complete opposite. And that is completely fine. I think it's just about taking care of yourself and knowing not to be reactive, but really being mindful about what you care about and taking action on that. Otherwise, we'll just keep living our lives for other people and because of how people say we should live our lives and more than anything at least for myself I I don't want to do that yeah, yeah. that totally makes sense yeah. on a side note when you asked me to introduce myself I was <laughs> for a second I was like oh shoot like I didn't even think about that I was like oh she'll just be like oh Kina's here and then just assume as if everyone knows who I am <laughs> but it's like that introduction you're so used to answering it almost like in a job interview like yeah tell me about yourself like who are you and the first thing you usually start with is like your job right yeah like, I'm a sales manager I'm a growth marketer I'm a product manager I'm an engineer and I kind of to what you're saying is like I didn't want to put so much stock in that anymore yeah I used to be so proud of it because I that's what I worked the hardest in and I Mm. still am but I also wanted to be like well I am all these other things too (laughs) yeah yeah I really really appreciate that in the beginning of my podcast I would start introductions like that because it's just like the easiest thing to say like this person is this and People can assume a lot of different things, but I'm also realizing I should just open it up to my guests to introduce themselves because I feel like they will share what matters most to them and that's enough and that's all that matters. Yeah. Or they're like, freeze, like I didn't be like, (laughs) who am I? (laughs) Who am I without this job title? (laughs) 
no, that's making me very mindful about me even saying, and in my intros, saying that I'm a mom and wife, because I'm way more than that, too. And I think that's why I do this podcast, is because this podcast allows me to be more than just that. It just gives me space to be me. Yeah, for sure. And also, being a mom is enough, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is true. It is true. But that's not all that I want to be personally. But... I know that it is like one of the most meaningful roles for a lot of people and that makes sense. But for me, it's just been overpowering too much of my life that I'm like, I'm going (laughs) to set boundaries right there. This time is just me to be me. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I did want to wind down with um, rapid fire questions. Um, So my question number one to you is what is a message or theme that keeps showing up in your life? Uh, balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not just balance, work-life balance, but between personal and you know social space balance in my relationships with my family, balance in my relationships with my partner, balancing my checkbooks. Yeah, especially this past year and a half. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a really good message because it's so easy to fall into the extremes of things, just super one-sided. But I think if you continue to always pursue balance, there's never a perfect balance. But if you just pursue it, I think that pursuit in itself is very valuable. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Um, what is something new you learned about yourself in the last year? few things. I just learned that I should and can be more confident in the things that I've done to get me to where I am. Um, And not so much push down those self-doubts, but acknowledge that they're still there and let it pass. Um, So that's something I think I've learned and am continuing to learn. And then this is a bonus question. Just because I'm curious and I feel like I want I want to know just as a friend, what are some additional things you learned about yourself in terms of like things you enjoy doing? Like what are some of the things that fills your cup? Yeah, I one of the reasons also why I felt that taking time off as opposed to just like hopping from one job to another was the best decision for me was because I felt that I was losing motivation in things outside of work. I wasn't really engaging in any personal hobbies and things like that. So having taken time off, I've kind of rediscovered my love to learn new things in a way that I didn't really have the time for before, whether it's like learning new languages, learning new recipes, uh, just learning how to design, (laughs) Uh, working on side projects with like my friends and my partner, the bakings. That's something I like used to do a lot of, like one of my like stress relievers. And I couldn't for a while just because of the way I was living and traveling. It's nice me time as well. It's a great way for me to have alone time without actually being alone if my like partner's at home or something. (laughs) It's so nice. Yeah, and I had no idea that you even had like this love for baking. I can't wait to try one of your <laughs> your baked goods now. Isn't it crazy that when you discover more things that you love and find time to do the things that you enjoy, you have a better grasp of yourself? 
like your sense of self becomes stronger. Definitely, for sure. I can totally resonate to that. It's just you, not just your sense of self, but I think it it gives it more of a, of a body, like, <laughs> like it fulfills it more. Um, so you feel stronger in that regard, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think as females, I don't mean to be a feminist, but I've become a feminist. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I am. I am very uh, proud to be a feminist. But I think as females, it's even more necessary that we prioritize like taking care of our own desires and paying attention to what we love and making time for it. Um, and so to my last question, uh, what, what is the source of encouragement for you when things are rough? Uh, I think just, just knowing that I have a really good set of friends and family members that will support me no matter what. As you very well know, I'm not great at sharing my feelings. <laughs> uh, something that my therapist and I are working on. But uh, I think just having that knowledge and that comfort in the back of my mind that should I want to, or if I wanted to, there is someone there that will listen to me unload my struggles and someone that cares enough to listen. Um, I think just having that type of support system is my source of encouragement when I feel that things are much harder. Yeah, I really like that. And you have so many people that love you. You are surrounded by loved ones. So I I can't think of anyone that wouldn't think it's a gift um, and take it as a gift if you shared your feelings. So, yeah. With that, you, I'm Jen. going, yeah, of course, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Akina, for your time today. And um, I can't wait to see you in January. Yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. <laughs>